Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I believe? How can you believe if I told you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Good morning. You may have noticed that I am not Malachi Tressler. And we are not going to be looking at Romans 11 today. And Elizabeth did not read from Romans 11. Yesterday, I was hiking over in Deem Hills and I got a couple of little text beeps in my, on my phone. I didn't pay attention to them until I got home. And Malachi sent out a text saying that uh, they're in Utah and Melissa's grandfather passed away over the weekend and he was wondering uh, should I try to come back should I send the text to somebody else what should I do and so I offered to go and look in my archives and try to find something to preach today I've had less notice before one time Josh Vincent called me about 6 p.m. on Saturday night so this was four hours extra um, but so I, I went and looked through my archives. The archives were a little barren, but I found an old outline, and so I decided to, to look at John chapter 3, a very basic message about what it means to be born again. And then when I started looking at the outline after I'd sent that text off to the people that needed to know what it was, then I realized that I didn't really like my outline very much. So I started fiddling with it. And so about 9.30 this morning, I was just finishing up. So we will see how it goes. So um, on that note, I ask you to pray with me because I am not feeling uh, extremely confident about what's gonna happen this morning. Father, thank you that you have uh, watched over us and, and, and given us grace. I do pray that you would be with us, with me, as we examine your word. And I pray and hope that we can realize that, that the word itself is what's important, not exactly how it's, how it's delivered, and uh, that it really is more important that 
that we feel the weight of these words than that we are perhaps uh, entertained with, with smooth and uh, exciting stories. So I pray that we can, um, we can listen to your word and that I can proclaim it, that you will open our hearts to hear it in Jesus' name, amen. Now having said that, I'm, I, I don't intend to be boring. Um, we have a, I have a, a good friend who lives in Louisville, he's a preacher there at our old church named Ryan, and, and he once said that he told everybody, now pay attention now, and he sort of had to say that a couple of times, and his, he said his wife later said, you know, Ryan, you need to just not be boring, that's the real issue. Um, so he said, she said it nicer than that, but that was the essential gist of the message. So let's, let's give a shot here at, at John chapter 3, and it's going to be a very basic message, but I hope that along the way I'm going to try to throw out a few nuggets to those people that like to take notes and go check things later and like to think uh, through these kinds of issues. So I don't know if any of you remember a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals back in the early 2000s named Daryl Kyle. He was a three-time All-Star. He had pitched a no-hitter. He was a 20-game winner in one season. That's, a, that's quite a milestone for a pitcher. And on June 22, 2002, the Cardinals were in Chicago to play the Cubs, and Daryl Kyle didn't show up for the game, and they didn't know what was going on. They went to the hotel. There was no answer, so they got the hotel workers to open the door. Actually, they had to force the door, and Daryl Kyle was in the room, and he had collapsed from a heart attack, and he died. And he had just recently passed a physical. But an autopsy revealed 90% blockage in three of his arteries, leading to his heart. So until that time, he had no idea that he was even sick, that there was even any kind of problem. And if he had known that there was a problem, he very likely would have done something about it and perhaps could have had it treated and might even still be alive today. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus talks to a man who didn't realize that he had a problem. And he exposes that problem. And he encounters some resistance at first, but then he keeps on. He keeps on with this man. I think he had hopes for this man named Nicodemus. Now the setting is in, in, in John chapter 3 that Jesus is in Jerusalem and he has just done something that was very unpopular with the, with the leaders there. He had he'd gone into the temple and he'd driven the people who were selling stuff in the temple, he'd driven them out because he was so zealous for the glory of God. And the leaders were not happy with, about this at all. He said, what in the world are you doing? And he said, destroy this temple and after three days I will raise it up again. And he was talking in veiled terms, and we'll come back to that in a minute, because he often did speak in veiled terms. He didn't speak plainly at that point in his ministry. So this man Nicodemus comes to him because Jesus had also been performing miracles. So in addition to driving money changers and people selling 
uh, doves and other stuff out of the temple, he had been healing people. He'd been performing miracles. So he'd been doing the kinds of miracles that Jesus did that brought attention to himself. And so that brings a man named Nicodemus to him. And Nicodemus comes to him and he starts asking him some questions and he acknowledges that he's a teacher born from God. So our first point this morning is really three sections that we're going to look at. And the first point that we're going to look at is that our true need is to be born again. So Jesus mentions this to Nicodemus. So we, lear- we learn in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now the Pharisees were people who were the religious leaders. They were the, the, the sort of the top guns. And the Pharisees in Jerusalem were the, the cream of the cream. They were the elite of the elite. So if Nicodemus was one of these Pharisees in Jerusalem, he was a re- very respected, very knowledgeable, very high up person in the Jewish religion. And it says he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do, these miracles that you do, unless God is with him. So, Jesus, so, so Nicodemus acknowledges you must be from God because you can do these miracles. Okay, fair enough. Prophets did miracles in the Old Testament. They spoke for God. So Nicodemus has got this idea maybe that Jesus is like a prophet from the Old Testament. Jesus gives Nicodemus a really surprising answer. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, verse 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus is evidently taken a little aback by this. And he says to him in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't think Nicodemus thinks that that's possible. What he's saying is, That's clearly impossible, Jesus. What are you talking about? He doesn't understand what he's talking about. So Jesus comes back and doubles down in verse 5 and and doesn't really explain it much better. He says, except that in the first case, he says you can't see the kingdom of God. Now he's going to talk about entering the kingdom of God. Verse 5, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now there's a lot of explanations for what water and spirit mean here, and I'm not going to go into them all. Uh, it's, it's It's almost a battleground in terms of, does it mean baptism? What does it exactly does it mean? Um, and it's not really relevant for what we want to talk about this morning. A couple of ideas. One is if you're taking notes, Uh, You can look for uh, Ezekiel, not Exodus, Ezekiel 36, 25, and 26, where Jesus talks about God sprinkling, or where God talks about sprinkling clean water on the people, cleansing away their uncleanness, and then giving them a new heart and a new spirit. 
talking about the Holy Spirit. So it might just be that Jesus is talking symbolically. I'm going to cleanse you, and then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Um, other people just think that maybe it's just another way of saying born of the Spirit. And there's some truth to that as well. He talks about being born again, being born of water and the Spirit, and then he mentions being born again, again. and then in verse 8 he says being born of the Spirit. So we have all these different ways of describing really kind of the same thing. Born again, born of the Spirit. And that's really the, the key here. That Jesus is talking about this idea of being born again. Now the Greek could also mean born from above, but I think the way Nicodemus replies means that he thinks it's born again. Like how can a man be born a second time? He can't get back in his mother's womb to be born again. So the way that Nicodemus takes it is this idea of being born again, a second time. So Jesus then goes on to explain in verse 6 a little bit more about what he's talking about. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, what's he talking about? Well, we understand the first part. Um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So apple trees produce apples. Dogs give birth to puppies. Dogs don't give birth to cats. Cats don't give birth to goldfish. We understand that, that like produces like, and then in a broader sense, flesh gives birth to flesh, but not to spirit. So he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but then what is he meaning in the second part? The spirit gives birth to spirit. What's he talking about? Well, he's referring to the fact that God is going to give his Holy Spirit to mankind. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life. It cause, causes people to be born again of the Spirit of God. Now, he doesn't say this yet directly to Nicodemus, but he's, Nicodemus should understand that the, the concept that God gives spiritual life. So flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit, and they're very, very different. Flesh can't give birth to spirit. Now I tried to think of an example, and I think the best sort of natural example I can give is, is the caterpillar and the butterfly. So now monarch butterflies, they, as caterpillars, they stay on milkweed plants, and they spend their whole life on milkweed. And to a caterpillar, there's only two things important in life. Is it milkweed or is it not milkweed? Okay, milkweed, good. Not milkweed, bad. Okay, you could put a, a, a nugget of gold by a caterpillar and it would say, not milkweed, bad. Wouldn't the only thing it cares about is milkweed. But when that caterpillar hatches out, and of course there's a process there, I realize that, but it, it turns into a, what, a chrysalis and whatever the, the stages are, it turns into a monarch butterfly. Now, at a certain point of the year, right around late August, September, that monarch butterfly 
suspends all its other normal activities and begins to migrate down to Mexico. On the east, uh, in, in the east to Mexico, in the west here, they, they head for, for Southern California. So think of the difference between this, this little caterpillar whose whole life is wrapped up in milkweed, not milkweed. And this butterfly who is now looking at vast horizons and, and heading off towards sometimes thousands of miles of flight to get to a new place. Think of the difference in those lives. That's even a, a small way to compare the difference between what's of the flesh and what's of the spirit. So a person who doesn't have the spirit of God has no interest in the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness. And they might say, oh, that's, that's nice for you. It's pleasant. Now, you'd think it'd be interesting, right? There's a place where there's no sin, no death, no sorrow. Your biggest life problem can be taken care of. Yeah, that's nice for you. It's not for me. It's a nice fairy tale. Not real. What's real is what I can see and touch. And the ultimate end of that kind of life is eternity apart from God. To a person born of the Spirit, or a person who has the Spirit, a whole new spiritual world has opened up. And suddenly, I'm interested in the things of the Spirit. The Bible makes sense to me. My desires are changing. I no longer define myself by what I have or by what I know or by what, by what other people think about me. I want to tell the truth instead of lying. That was true with me. I used to just tell lies because I could. And then within weeks, I was really, really conscious of trying to tell the truth. Sometimes to the point that at one, at one point, I think people thought I was nuts. Like, I don't care that you, that you told me a lie before. Just forget it. But I'd go back and I'd, and I'd, I'd, I'd try to make it right. I wanted to tell the truth. My heart was changing. So the difference between the person with the Spirit and without the Spirit is vastly different. The Holy Spirit gives people supernatural power. A couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to spend some t- uh, Sunday afternoon, spend a little bit of time with Rob Hirsch, as it turns out, hours before he went to be with the Lord. And Rob was there, and he was telling us to hope in Jesus. Now, wait a minute, we're, we're supposed to be telling him to hope in Jesus. He's telling us to hope in Jesus. And then at one point, he asked Jim Hughes, you know, Jim, you lost a spouse. What kind of advice can, can you give to Sandy about what to do when you lose a spouse? He was concerned about the people around him. It was amazing. The Holy Spirit gives people supernatural power, and I was, I was privileged to see it in that room two weeks ago today. Now, Jesus goes on to say that we don't understand 
how the Holy Spirit works. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Evidently, Nicodemus was still kind of like, what are you talking about? Maybe it was just on his face. And Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, verse 8, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we, we feel the wind, we hear it, but we don't really know where it's coming from or where it's going. And where, where does the wind start? I don't think weather, weathermen even know that. But Jesus says that we don't know how the Spirit works. So just a few applications before we move on here to the next section. This message is for everyone. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is not a nice add-on to make your life a little easier. This is not just something to, to get through the day a little bit better or, or make my relationships a little smoother. He's saying you must be born again. No amount of human anything, meaning the flesh, will get you into the kingdom of God. In John 1.13, if you're taking notes, John 1.13 Jesus says that those who receive him were born not of blood, meaning not of your genes, nor of the will of the flesh, not anything that comes out of your desires, nor of the will of man, not anything that comes from your will or your planning power, but of God. We're born of God. We're born not of all these other things, but of God. So no amount of human anything can get us to a place where we can get into the kingdom of God. My money's not going to do it. My relationships are not going to do it. Teaching Sunday school's not going to do it. Going to church every Sunday's not going to do it. You must be born again. Now, if anyone could claim credit with God, it was Nicodemus, right? He was a Pharisee. He was not only a Pharisee, he was a top-notch Pharisee. These guys memorized whole books of the Bible, from what I understand. I've never found exact information about that, but I think that they memorized vast quantities of the Bible. They ordered their, their lives, their daily lives, around the law of God. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was somebody who should have had it made, and yet the first thing that Jesus tells him when he comes to Jesus, thinking he's a teacher from God, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So Nicodemus is getting a message here that he's not quite clear about and he's not really receiving, at least not yet, because Jesus points out to him what his real need is and Jesus then has to go on our second main section here. 
Jesus tells them, you know what? You don't believe that you have a problem and you're not accepting the solution. So second main point, we do not want to believe that we have a problem or to accept the solution. That seems kind of strange. Well, let's, talk, let's, let's look at why. So, so Nicodemus asked this question in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Well, Jesus is going to, first of all, talk to Nicodemus about some issues with him and the people and, and, and their ability to receive what he's saying before he tries to explain how these things can be. Now, Nicodemus should have understood the new birth. He would have known Ezekiel 36 that I just mentioned, this idea of the new spirit and the new heart and the sprinkling with pure water. This, those kinds of things were, were known to Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He had read the Old Testament multiple times, like in, in all likelihood. He had probably had books of the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, memorized. Jeremiah 31 talked about a time is coming when a new covenant would come and God would write his law on people's hearts. Nicodemus should have known this. But Jesus says to him in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus, you should know this stuff. And then in verse 11, he talks about what the, what the real issue is here. The people do not accept the teaching of Jesus and John the Baptist. Now, where am I, where am I getting that? Well, he says, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 11, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Well, who's the we here? Well, I'm glad you asked. John the Baptist taught, you see this very early on in the, in the book of Matthew, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, he taught, Matthew 4, 17, wait for it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They taught the same message. The difference was that John was saying, look to Jesus. Jesus was saying, look to me. John also taught that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus said, you must be born of the Spirit. They're teaching very similar things. But notice what it says at the end of verse 11. But you do not receive our testimony. You do not receive our testimony. Now at this point, our English Bibles do us a disservice because it's hard to tell. Well, the, the, the King James actually is good here because you can tell the difference between singular and plural, you. Now, in the South, they, they, they say y'all, except that eventually they started saying y'all even if talking to an individual. So now they say all y'all. So 
Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but all y'all do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told all y'all earthly things and all y'all do not believe, how can all y'all believe if I tell all y'all heavenly things? Okay, sorry about that, but um, it's kind of annoying, but the distinction is that he's now talking about the Jewish people and not just Nicodemus himself. This is, what, this is what's true of, of, of the people. You do not receive our testimony. So John the Baptist, and now I've come along and I'm picking up where John the Baptist left off and I'm going I'm I'm to run with that. You do not receive our testimony, the people. So when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they're like, well, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure I, I really like that. Now John at the beginning, when, when John the Baptist first came, people paid attention to what he was, he was talking about, but as time went on, I think they just sort of went back to their lives and began to ignore him. Eventually he got thrown in prison. Then he was basically done. Now you'd think that people would be grateful to find out what their problem is. So if I have, maybe I got a cut and all of a sudden it's starting to get red and inflamed and I show it to, to, to Dr. Joshua Pringle and he says, oh man, that looks like it's getting infected. You need to soak that. You need to watch it carefully. You need to put some anti antibiotic ointment on it. Would I say, where do you get off telling me that, Josh Pringle? No, I'd say, thank you, thank you. I, I, I didn't realize it was getting infected. I need to take care of that. We'd be grateful for finding out what the problem is and how to fix it. So you'd think that John the Baptist and Jesus would have been very popular because they were telling people what the problem was and how to fix it. But Jesus says no one receives our testimony. He's talking about the people in general. A few people receive their testimony, obviously, the, the apostles and a few people, but in general, the people didn't want to hear it. So when Jesus says you must be born again, or when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You'd think they'd be thankful. But instead, we, we hate that message. Human beings, in and of themselves, hate to be told that they have a sin problem. A little later in this chapter, Jesus says that people hate the light and don't come to the light. And a little later in John, he says, people hate me because I testify that their deeds are evil. People hate to hear, whoa, that was strong. People hate to hear that their deeds are evil. So we resist being told about our sin problem. And Jesus says, you do not receive our testimony. And so as a result, verse 12, Jesus says, I can't go deeper with people who do not believe. I can't go deeper with people who do not believe. 
says, I'll try to teach you, meaning the people, about spiritual things. And I'll use illustrations. I'll talk about being born and being born again. And I'll talk about the wind blowing. But you don't receive that testimony. You don't receive what I'm trying to say. Jesus often talk, talked in parables. The sower went out to sow. But at some point, he stopped. Mark 4.33 said he spoke to them in parables as they were able to hear. They could only take in so much. At some point, he, he didn't go further. He would explain it to his disciples, but he only went so far with the crowds who would reject him if he, if he, if he kept going. So he, he did it in his own time. There was even a time when, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus strictly told him, don't tell people that I am the Christ, meaning the Son of David, the one who's coming to reign, because they would have misunderstood it. But notice what happens next. Jesus keeps going with Nicodemus. He says, the people aren't receiving this, but Nicodemus, I'm going to go on and tell you about some heavenly things. Evidently, Jesus saw something in Nicodemus. Maybe, maybe the lights are starting to come on, and Nicodemus is, okay, okay, go further. Now, the fact that Jesus is doing this to a Pharisee, and not only to a Pharisee, but a Pharisee in Jerusalem, right after the people had, that the Pharisees had, and the leaders had opposed him, is very remarkable. Just before this, Jesus had driven the money changers out of the temple. And this is what he had said to them Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He wasn't speaking plainly, he was speaking in figures. Now, he was talking about his resurrection, that if you crucify me in three days, I will be raised up. But he didn't explain that to the people he was talking to. But now he's about to explain this to Nicodemus. This is actually quite interesting. He's about to explain this to a guy, a Pharisee in Jerusalem, who you'd think would be the last person that he would be going into real heavenly depth with. And yet, here he is doing it. So imagine if you're in a gym with basketball nets and you're practicing free throws. And a guy in the next, at the next net is also practicing free throws. And out of the corner, out of your, sort of the side of your attention, you're still practicing. Somebody comes in and you hear him talking. Hey, you know what? If you want to hit your free throws better, get your hands in this position Raise them up a little bit higher. Here's how you follow through. If that was just some other guy at the gym, I would maybe not pay much attention. But what happens if I suddenly realize that this is Chris Paul from the Phoenix Suns? All of a sudden, my attention, whoa, that's, I want to hear what he's got to say about shooting free throws. Why? Because he's an expert on how to shoot a basketball. I'm going to get the best advice I can possibly get you, I want to get his advice. He's an expert. 
So Jesus now is ready to talk to Nicodemus about who he really is and why he's qualified to say what he's saying and what he's going to do to bring about this being born again that he's been talking about. So the last section is Jesus, Jesus is the Son of Man who will be lifted up to give eternal life. Now before we talk about that, let me just bring out one application from the previous section. And that is this. If you're here this morning and you're not tracking with this, if you're, if you're resisting the idea that you must be born again, or you don't understand it, let me just ask you to pray and ask God to open your heart to see the truth of this. It's a very simple prayer. God hears prayers like that. Just, Lord, open my heart to understand this. And I pray God would open my heart to understand the weight of this every day. Okay, so Jesus is now going to talk about heavenly things to Nicodemus. He says, Jesus says that he's the Son of Man who will be lifted up to give eternal life. Now, why can Jesus talk about heaven? Why can Chris Paul talk about how to shoot baskets? Because he's been on the NBA basketball court in games shooting. How can Jesus talk about heaven? Because he's been in heaven. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus can talk about heaven because he came from heaven. But secondly, Jesus identifies who he is. He says, I am the Son of Man. The one who came down from heaven is the Son of Man. Now Nicodemus, that would have started some, some synapses firing in his head. Like, boom, the Son of Man. That comes from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is the one who's going to come on the clouds of heaven and reign over the nations. In fact, that title is so significant that later on, when Jesus quotes Daniel 7 about himself, he says, you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That's when the, the Jewish leaders condemned him to death. They said, that's blasphemy. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here is really, really powerful. Later on, it's going to get him condemned to death. He's telling Nicodemus here, who's one of those guys, He's part of that group that later condemned him to death, even though Nicodemus was not active in that. In fact, Nicodemus later defended Jesus. But here he is talking to a Pharisee about this. The Son of Man. Who has been in heaven. So Jesus, the Son of Man, has been in heaven so he can talk about heaven. And he's the Son of Man. He's the one who's going to reign. And then finally, in verse 14, he says the Son of Man must be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, we read that passage a little while ago. And so the people are complaining. Ah, we don't have water, we don't have food. And we're sick of this food that we got. Ugh. And God sent said, fiery serpents among the people. Anybody, has anybody in here ever been bitten by a rattlesnake? Okay, I'm grateful for that. I've never been bitten by, I've been bitten by a scorpion, but not a rattlesnake. Actually, I was trying to kill the scorpion and he was faster than me. Um, so, the vipers at that time were a lot like rattlesnakes. And so these fiery serpents, and they're, they're biting people, and people are dying. And so, Mo, so God tells Moses, okay, take and make a bronze serpent. Make a, a model of a serpent, put it up on a pole, and anybody who looks at that pole, looks at that bronze serpent, will be healed of their snake bite. And that's the, the kind of the strange picture that Jesus uses for himself. He says, the Son of Man must be lifted up the same way that that serpent was put on a pole. The symbol of their suffering. Here's Jesus being put up on a cross, taking the suffering of the world. That if anybody looks at that, looks to the Son, they'll be healed. Not of a poison of snake bite but of something worse the poison of sin that we're shot through with why verse 15 that whoever believes in him may have eternal life that's the heavenly truth that Jesus has been pointing to you must be born again why so you can have eternal life you need to believe in the Son. So a couple of applications and then, then I'll be done here. There's three things we must understand. We must understand that we have a problem. The sin problem is worse than the venom of a viper in our bloodstream. And it's going to kill us and it's going to kill us eternally. It leads to hell. We must understand who Jesus is. He's not just a good man, not just a good teacher like Nicodemus thought he was maybe at first. He's not just a good man who maybe even can heal people. He's the Son of God. He's the Creator. He's ultimately going to be the judge. And He's the Savior. So we must understand that we have a problem. We must understand who Jesus is. And we must understand that Jesus offers us a true solution. The true solution is what he did on the cross for us. And as John and Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn away from your sins. At the same time as you're turning away, you're going to be turning a different direction. You're going to be turning toward God. They're two sides of the same coin. Jesus offers a true solution through being lifted up on a cross, bearing our sins for us, 
dying for our sins, being raised again the third day so that we can have eternal life through faith in him. So three main sections of this message. We all need to be born again. We have trouble believing. It doesn't come easily to our natural minds. But Jesus, the Son of God, was lifted up on a cross for our eternal life. Let me just close with a, with a, a true story. On December 26, 2004, massive tsunamis were, were, were sent out by earthquakes. And a, a Force 9, or what do they call it? A something 9, seismologists would know what I'm talking about. Um, a Force 9 earthquake caused massive tsunamis. Over 230,000 people were killed in 14 countries, many in Indonesia, Thailand. Seven years before that, a seismologist named Samith Damasaraj, I think that's how you pronounce it, tried to warn people. He said, if an earthquake happens here, and I think there's going to be one, it's going to cause massive damage. And he, he said, any hotels that are on the, near the water need to have warning systems set up so that they can get alerted. And everybody paid attention to him, right? No, they ignored him. In fact, the government of Thailand gave him a different position. They, they shunted him off to a different position because their tourist industry was growing. People were building resorts like crazy along the coastline. They didn't want to, to upset the tourists. Seven years they would have had time to set up warnings, set up systems to get people, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of lives could have been saved. So they ignored the problem until it was too late. Let me urge you this morning, the solution is there. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's pray.